Welcome to Snap Judgment from NPR. I'm your host, Glenn Washington, and today we're going to kick it off with a bookish beat because I need a jam I can read to. Watch it. Give me some. Now give me some out. That's DJ Smooth Grooves on the ones and twos. And we're going to keep them busy spinning stories on today's episode that give us that scholastic beat. Because today, today, Snap Judgment journeys into the place that masquerades as the most innocuous setting of all, yet in reality, teams with drama. I'm talking about your local public library, the place the haters are trying to shut down right now in order to save a few dollars. Don't let them do it. It's a magical place. Back when I was in high school, I was at the library doing my little dance for the ladies. I pulled a book off the shelf I was sure would draw their attention from the rest of my friends, especially the good-looking guy, Chris. It worked. The book was called Hypnotism. Let me hypnotize you, I said to the pretty girl next to me, Carrie. Beautiful Carrie. You can't hypnotize nobody. We'll see. Right there, chapter one, induction. There was a bunch of blah, blah, blah about the need for necessary precautions and trained personnel and such, but I flipped right over that to the good stuff, and there it was. A sample induction for the purposes of hypnosis. I put on my best movie villain voice and began to read. First of all, I want you to relax. Relax. Shh. People were gathering around. Everybody shut up. Shut up. Like I said, first of all, I want you to relax. We're going to take a few long, deep breaths. Inhale. Exhale. Inhale. Exhale, breathing, relaxation in with every breath. Inhale. Exhale. Deeper and deeper and deeper. Every sound you hear, every breath you take, you will find yourself becoming more deeper and deeper and deeply relaxed. Deeper and deeper. Every sound, every breath. And now I got to break this story up a little bit because I do not want anybody out there in Radio Land to have any type of incident. DJ, give us a little something. Scratch me up something. Cool. Cool. Now, back to the story. And deeper and deeper. I read the induction exactly the way it was on the page. It read, and I quote, you are now hypnotized. I looked up, and there the pretty Carrie sat rocking just a little bit back and forth back and forth, eyes almost closed, looking at nothing. Nothing at all. No way! Everybody was laughing, cutting up. Carrie! 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 Stop playing! Carrie! If it had been anybody else, the performance would have been dismissed. But Carrie was incapable of holding a joke. Carrie! For real? Carrie, I'm waving my hands in front of her eyes like they do in the movies. All up in her face and she's not moving. Then everybody's looking at me. Then everybody's grabbing for the book, but I am not having it. Let go! Let go! Let go. I turn to the next chapter, and it's something about methods to test the degree of trance. I read, I want you to imagine that something very, very heavy is attached to your eyelids. In fact, it's so heavy that even the thought of lifting your eyelids makes it heavier. Heavier extremely heavy now. Try to open your eyes. Carrie struggled to obey. Her eyebrows raised, but despite the strain, her eyelids remained closed. You may relax. Carrie relaxed. My status was growing by the minute. Carrie, I want you to hold out your right arm. She stuck it out. Now, Carrie, I want you to imagine something. I want you to imagine that your arm is as rigid as a rock. In fact, I want you to imagine that your arm is made of solid, unbreakable steel. There is no force in the universe that can bend such powerful metal. 
nothing at all can bend your arm. I try, I strain theatrically for effect, but just as the book suggests, I can't bend the weak, skinny girl arm. Others, they come, they try, and the arm remains just as rigid for them as it had been for me. Now, Carrie, when you wake from this hypnotic trance, you won't remember a thing, but you will feel refreshed and invigorated. On the count of three, you will awake. One, two, three. Carrie opened her eyes and looked back at the faces staring at her. You were hypnotized. The crowd went wild. This happened in front of witnesses. The next day in school, I was going to be a hero and no one was going to spoil my joy. I grabbed the book and ran to check it out. Turned out, my buddy Chris was thinking how to put a monkey wrench in my plans for domination. The library had two copies. I rushed home, eager to explore my newfound powers. My little brother Micah was barking like a dog within minutes. At school the next day, Chris successfully put a girl under and tied an imaginary helium balloon to her finger. Everybody clapped as her right hand kept rising above her head despite her attempts to keep it in her lap. I seethed encountered by hypnotizing three people at the same time and having them huddle together for warmth, convinced that it was 30 degrees below zero. Chris struck back later in the day with reports he had several people asking for water as if they were so very, very thirsty. The next day, I came back, and I came back hard as the teacher had long ago abandoned control of history class, I used the time and went for the holy grail. Age regression. Okay, I want you to imagine yourself growing younger. Do you understand younger? When I give the signal, you will start to grow younger and younger at my command. 12, 10, you're not eight years old. Five, four, Three. Now, James, come up here and write your name on the blackboard. I can't. Why not? I don't know how to write my name. When the gasps subsided, my crown remained secure for several days. The sudden respect was palpable. I enjoyed every minute of it. Then... Shocking news erupted from the drama class. Chris had done the unthinkable, the unbelievable, the unholy. Past life regression. I ran to see for myself, and there he was. Taking age regression to its unnatural climax. Ten, eight, five, four, three years old, two, one, zero. Imagine yourself surrounded by a sea of warm water. Now, I want you to see if you can feel a pull. If you feel a tug, if you feel the slightest whisper of a pull, I want you to swim toward it. And if you see light, I want you to swim toward that light. Some people have claimed they can re-enter the bodies of former selves through the aid of concentrated focus. I'm going to help you reach for one of those points right now on the count of three. One, two, three. And wouldn't you know it, the girl emerged, blinked her eyes wide, and started speaking some kind of nonsense as if it were a real language. Man, I was so pissed, so pissed, but it was so cool. I had to hand it to him. All right, Chris. All right, dog. That was hot. That was hot. You got me. After doing something 
so spectacular, he could afford to throw me a bone. He had tickets to see Mr. Tom. Mr. Tom was the baddest, coolest stage hypnotist that we had ever just heard of. And it just so happened, he was coming to Grand Valley State University right outside of Grand Rapids, Michigan. And he said, you're driving. Deal. The show was amazing. Mr. Tom was amazing. He hypnotized 40 volunteer audience members at a toss. And then the fun started. People would suddenly feel compelled to storm the stage with their secret messages. Others screamed in alien tongues until others jumped up to translate. Make no mistake, for us, this was the highest form of high art. We couldn't wait to talk to him after the show and tell him how we were already following in his footsteps. He was mobbed after the program, so we bid our time. We were practitioners of the craft and didn't want him to confuse us with groupies. He noticed us waiting, and the great man came over to us. Thanks for coming out, fellas. How can I help you? We told him everything. We told him how we'd been practicing hypnotism, how we'd already gotten some great tricks under our belt, how the show had really inspired us to keep trying for higher level effects. I was about to say something else cool about us, and Tom exploded. You, 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 you idiot! You idiot! This is not a toy! This is not something that jackasses can play at. I don't know what I expected his reaction to be, but this was not going well. Listen, listen to me, listen to me. This tool short circuits all the protective covering people have built up over lifetimes. You, you like to fool with age regression? Did, did you see how I asked everybody, how many of you have had a happy childhood? How many had a happy childhood? If they hesitated for even a second, I made them sleep. Only, only the happy, happy got to play the good time games. What if I brought someone to age three, but in their house when they were three, maybe things weren't going so well with the new stepdad. Maybe they were locked in the closet. Maybe whatever. People are carrying around stuff, just barely holding it together, and they don't need you clowns screwing with them. You, you, you idiots, you promised me right here and right now you're gonna knock this crap off. Yes, Mr. Tom, sir. Do you, pr yes, yes, Mr. Tom, sir. The next day, early, brothers in crime, we were both at the library. We had tasted from the fruit of the tree of knowledge and paid her horrible price to restore order to the universe. I broke the first law of the library. I wrote in the book. In red marker, in large letters, I wrote, you are getting sleepy. Every breath you take, every move you make, this book becomes more boring and embarrassing and contemptible to you. The more you think about reading it, the more desperately you wish to throw it back on the shelf. Now, close the book, get up, and walk away. And just in case, just in an abundance of caution, if anyone out there is still hypnotized, one, two, three, you're out. All you remember is that Snap Judgment is your favorite radio program of all time. DJ Smooth Grooves, give me a little something and let's take us out. Libraries. Libraries. How very public radio of you to do a show on libraries. Some of you are thinking to yourselves right now, but how dare you? question our anti-authoritarian tendencies. Friends, it is my mission today on Snap Judgment to convince you that this lowly edifice struggling for proper respect is in actuality a mystery box full of secrets both dangerous and sexy waiting for you to uncover, so say it like you mean it. Library. 
trust me, we've got some stories. Snap Judgment. We'll be right back. Snap Judgment. My name is Ben Washington, and hold on tight. Watch your leg there. Watch your leg. We're about to get into the way, way back machine, because back in the day, it wasn't so easy for a young black man to just walk up in a library and check out a book by a real-life African-American author. No, especially not some obscure yarn spinner like Frank Yerby. No way. It just was not done. But thanks to StoryCorps, we lay down a tale on Snap Judgment about how, in spite of everything, a young man managed to get his read on. I was a rather troubled uh, high school senior at the time, about 16 years old, and I spotted this book that looked rather risque uh, called The Treasure of Pleasant Valley. On the cover was a drawing of a woman who appeared to be wearing something that was basically see-through, but the symbolism was really great for me at that age <laughs> at 16. And then I realized if I read the book, two of my classmates, uh, girls, were volunteering in the library, and if they saw me taking out a book, they'd tell the boys, and then my reputation would be down because I was reading books, and I wanted them to know that all I could do is fight and cuss. <laughs> and so finally it'd come to me, just steal a book. And so when I finished the book in about uh, oh, a week or two, I brought it back, and when I put it back, that was another book by Frank Gerby. So I thought, maybe I'll read that too. So I took it under my jacket, and later I brought it back. And that was a, God, that was another book by Frank Gerby. So I, I took it, and I think that semester I read four books by Frank Gerby. And uh, several years, 13 to be exact, we were at a gathering at my high school uh, for my class reunion, and the teacher who had been the librarian, Mrs. Mildred Grady, was there. She told me that she saw me take that book when I first took it. She said, the first thought was to go over and tell him, boy, you don't have to steal a book. You can check them out. They're free. And then she realized what my situation was, that I could not let anybody know I was reading. So she said that she decided that if a old boy would read a book, she and Mrs. Saunders would drive to Memphis and find another one for me to read, and they would put it in the exact same place where the one I had taken was. And every time I took one out, they headed to Memphis to find another one. Now you gotta understand that this was not an easy matter then because this is 1957 and 58, and black authors were not especially available, number one. And number two, Frank Yerby was not such a widely known author. And, uh, and number three, they had to drive all the way to Memphis to find it. And uh, I credit Mrs. Grady for getting me in the habit of enjoying reading so that uh, I was able to go to law school and survive. Mm -hmm. so That's that pretty I, cool. <laughs> yeah. Now, that was Judge Ali Neal, and yes, I did say Judge Ali Neal, talking to his daughter, Karama, in Little Rock, Arkansas. Thank you, StoryCorps. You're listening to Snap Judgment. I'm looking for a book on television, but uh, I forgot. Do you know the author? No, I don't, and I don't know the title either, but it's a blue book, and it kind of gives the whole story. You know. I think we can help you. But it's so hard to find things in this place. Hard to find things? It's super easy to find things at the library. You just use the Dewey Decimal System. Why are we wasting our time with the Dewey Decimal System when your system is so much easier? Much easier. We'll just put the books anywhere. It's pretty interesting how enduring that stereotype of the 
librarian is. We don't care, right? Isn't that right? Oh, the buns and the, the dusty stacks. <laughs> I'm a children's librarian. But I was doing something where I reached up and a little boy saw the tattoo on my side and he said, I seen your tattoo, that's tight. And I said, thank you. And he said, my daddy got the devil licking some <laughs> You know, I don't know, we do wear sensible shoes, but yeah, no, we don't shush. I, I have shushed, I have been shushed so much more in my career than I have, than I have shushed. I'm Rachel Bridgewater. I'm the electronic resources librarian at Reed College. I think librarians are like the least judgmental group of people you could hope to find. Have you a real love of books and learning? You do? That's good. Hear that, everybody? Our friend here has given us a great idea. We'll just put the book any damn place we choose. If you come to the reference desk asking for information because you want to find out how to get the government to stop stealing your thoughts, stealing your thoughts. Do you like all kinds of people? We're going to value that just as high as somebody coming to the desk wanting information about Alexander the Great for their paper. People in all stations of life. Because, you know, your need is equal. You do? That's wonderful. Because when you have these two important qualifications, love for books and love for people, you may well consider the vocation of a librarian. Whose guardians feel most successful when they are sharing the treasure with the whole world. When I worked in government documents up on the fifth floor, we tended to get a lot of lawyers, would-be lawyers, because all the law books are up there. And I saw this woman come in, she got off the elevator, and she had kind of a black pantsuit, very professional looking. And I immediately thought lawyer. She, this is some a lawyer's coming in to ask about something. And she got a little closer. I realized she, you know, she looked kind of young. And I thought, okay, law student, Hastings law student. And this is like in three or four seconds. I'm just processing it. And she's got her her legal pad, her yellow legal pad, and it looks it looks like it's filled up. Every line is filled up, and she's flipping over and all the. Just thought, man, she's got a you know a whole notebook full of notes. And she came up to the desk, and I said, hi, what can I do for you? And she started talking. I couldn't really understand what she was talking about. And she wanted a book to get the Bulgarian KGB to stop beaming gamma rays into her head every time she left the building. I said, you know, we probably don't have anything that specific, but we have books on the KGB, we have books on the FBI, we have books on the CIA. Some of them are like how-to books and how-not-to books. And she was just kind of frazzled. And she said, okay, you know, and I said, well, I'll show you where there are. No, I'll just, I'll go find them. I'll go find them. And that's when I got a look at her legal pad. And it was just line after line after line of scribbles. No words, no letters, no sentences, just scribbles. And then finally she got some medication and she became normal. It's a certain kind of crazy that that <laughs> has that need filled by, by info, fueled by info, yeah. Yes, there are many aspects to this worthwhile occupation, all of vital importance in the nation's life. Modest rural library must be different from a city library, offering a multitude of services to meet the needs of a great variety of persons. My name is Shelley Cocking. How long have you been at the library? I've been here at San Francisco Public for 15 years. And what do you do for San Francisco Public? Currently, I'm the manager of the Borrower Services Department. I work at the reference desk on the first floor, um, one, one hour a day. And uh, we get quite an array of characters here at the main. I mean, we're in the Tenderloin, which is kind of a rough neighborhood. so. Obviously, those people come inside. So I was on the reference desk, and a gentleman came up, and he said that recently there had been all these rumors going around his building about a pedophile living there. And he had heard that you can actually look up someplace on the Internet and find out if, you know, there really is one and, you know, what they've done and stuff like that. And he seemed very concerned. He said all his neighbors are talking about this. And he was shocked. So I said, sure, sure, no, no problem. This is called Megan's Law, and I 
you know, turned my monitor so it was facing out to the atrium so I could walk him through, you know, finding Megan's Law on the Internet. And I got his address from him and typed it in. And, of course, when the picture of the, the name of the person who does live at his location, who was a pedophile, popped up, it was actually a picture of the patron standing in front of me. And he, of course, turned around quickly and went running out the front door of the library. The many different libraries in our country have various functions, depending on their location. Special thanks to the San Francisco Public Library, especially Trent Garcia, Megan Anderson, Shelley Calking, and Patrick Shea. The San Francisco Public Library is the very first library with a social worker on staff. That tells you something about the caliber of the people working there. They even opened their doors to us. Told us stories all day long, and we cannot thank them enough. Thank you. You will derive satisfaction from a knowledge that your work is vital and essential in forming the kind of world in which you want to live. To the SN, to the AP, J-U-D, at that G, M-E-N-T-O-R-G. Check out snapjudgment.org to let us know your stories and what? What, what? What's that? You don't know what to do? Well, Glenn, I want to tell you my tale, but I'm afraid and lonely. I want to hear more stories from people like me. I just don't know where to run. Well, friend, what about your phone phone? That thing you're talking to at the 888-304-SNAP. 888-304-SNAP. How else are we going to find stuff? to put on the show. Hello? Snap Judgment Storyline, 888-304-SNAP. I'm from Washington. Now, remember, leave us your name, your number, and the story you're about to tell. You've got three minutes. Peace out. Hi, Snap Judgment. My name is Seanette, and I have a story for you. Uh, when I was in undergrad, I was studying music, and I spent a lot of time in the music building, which was called Jennings. And Jennings was an old mansion that had been donated by a Mrs. Jennings after she died. When I was going to school, I worked in the music library to try and make some extra money. And my friends and I had this strange habit of going and practicing and we would choose to practice at all hours of the night at 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m. and practice. And one night I decided I wanted to do that. And I biked up to Jennings and went inside. And it was really quiet. I was the only one in there and I was feeling a little bit creeped out. And I didn't want to go all the way up to the third floor um, where the main practice rooms were because I didn't want to be up there alone. And also in the past when I've been up there and my friends too had experienced this feeling of there being some, a presence or you'd hear weird noises and get kind of spooked out. So I had the key to the music library where I worked and I decided I was going to use the old piano in there and practice. So I went in there, started practicing, everything's going fine. And a few minutes into it, I, you know, I'm hearing weird little noises and creaks and it's an old house. So I figured, you know, maybe that's, that's just all it is. And I'm trying not to get myself spooked out at this point. Um, but I'm feeling also, I'm hearing these noises, but I'm also feeling a, a presence or like, I keep turning around and looking over my shoulder, expecting to see someone there and there's never anyone there. After a while, uh, I would say after about half an hour of this, I had kind of worked myself up, uh, you know, and I'm getting more and more spooked out, and I decide I'd better leave. So I, I leave, and there's this urgent feeling, I, like I have to get out of there, and uh, lock up the, the music library, and I get on my back, bike, and I start riding down the hill. And as I'm riding down the hill, I feel like there's something behind me chasing me. And I'm, I'm like, what, what could this be? You know, and it keeps turning around and there's nothing there. So I'm riding faster and faster. And this presence, whatever this thing is, is, is going faster and faster behind me. So I, I rode as fast as I could. And by the time I made it back to my dorm, 
my heart was beating, um, and uh, I rent. I went to my friend's room. I told her about how I got scared when I was in there, and and about that feeling of being chased as I rode my bike. And as I'm telling her this, I take off my jacket, and she says, "What's that on your jacket?" And I look, and there's this slimy, gooey stuff, like on the back of my jacket. And she goes, oh my God, I think you just got slimed. It wasn't there when I put it on. I hadn't fallen or rolled in anything. And all I could think of was Ghostbusters and ectoplasm. He slimed me. That's great actual physical contact. Can you move? I feel so funky. Who you gonna call? Snap judgment. Now, if it's something weird and it don't look good, you know what it is. It's that snap judgment. Call, write, email, smoke signals. If you have a story to tell, you know the address, snapjudgment.org. For today's episode, we asked real-life librarians for stories about life in the stacks. We cast our net far and wide, but this one ended up coming from someone very, very close to home. Snap Judgment's own Roman Mars has a story. And now that we've prayed at the altar of the non-judgmental First Amendment defending beacon of democracy librarian, we present this counterpoint. Oh, you knew it was coming. The evil librarian. There's a part of me that hates that I'm the one bringing the bad librarian story forth because they are my heroes. That is Lee Mars. My name is Lee Mars. My sister. I'm the proud older sister of Roman Mars. Is that it? Fiercely proud. That's right. The helpful librarian was a romantic figure in Lee's life. Growing up, we both sought comfort and security in the library until... Until I got this job as a librarian assistant at a small bedroom community high school outside of New York City. So there was uh, a librarian who worked there. Let's call her. I don't know what to call her. Kathy. Kathy works. Kathy. Kathy had been there a while. Kathy had been there some 200 years. She had this disturbingly wispy hair and was no more than four foot tall, but was obviously a force of nature. She was on the school board. She was trying to shape what the kids talked about did. I feel like I came in, I'm one of those spunky, show up on the job, ready to go, you know, like see what's possible. Love being in the midst of so many books. But it became really clear, really fast, that we were each other's absolute nemesis. They were nemeses. My urge was to um, get to know the kids. Kind of radical. <laughs> to talk with them about their issues. And, and sure enough, these kids had plenty of issues. But working with some girls, it became clear that eating disorders was a major issue. And so I worked with a counselor and helped establish a, a group for girls to get together and talk about eating disorders. And the kids started coming to me, a lot of the queer and questioning kids, and they wanted uh, to see if we could start set up a gay lesbian bi-alliance group. And even though these meetings were held during lunches and after school, this did not go over well with Kathy. She was... Completely hostile towards all these things. These things meaning gay-friendly things. What are you spending your time doing? You should be shelving books. All ten of the books that the kids have checked out this week. Right? Go shelve those. It was killing her that I was doing anything to help these kids. Which, of course, was killing me. And eventually, it all came to a head. So at some point, we had this, like, face-off in the back room. She had grabbed me, pulled me in the back, behind the checkout counter into where the periodicals are filed, and had a book in hand, Stranger in a Strange Land, and had a somewhat provocative cover, which she held up in front of me. And she just tore the cover right off. The binding on the side just came right off, right in front of me, and said, this is what's wrong. Like, this is it. 
what I, you know, it'd been like 10 years since I'd read the book, mind you. And like, I don't know, even know what she, if she knew what was inside, but there was just like this sense of, um, this is the threat. It ripped it in front of me. And it was, it was horrible. Mm-hmm. It was horrible. It was so raw and crude. I'm in a high school library. It, it just, it broke my heart. What was interesting is that uh, um, while the kids may not have known, like, this was this hostile woman working in their midst, you know, she was clearly tight. And um, that's what I loved about them, is that periodically they'd bring in a bag of crickets and they'd release him into the library. And they'd just start chirping, chirping. I mean, she would twitch, she would look, but they would come back to see their work like any good criminal. They would come back to to watch her squirm. I loved that. And I swear to God, for me, that was a savior. (laughs) They put those crickets in there to like torture this high strung, tense, tightly wound librarian. But for me, it was like victory. It just felt like winning. Just chirp. I came here for justice. And I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. I don't want to plead with the idea of justice. We're hiding somewhere between the self help section and those old magazines. This library mystery box still has a couple more stories rattling around inside. Don't miss a moment, just 60 seconds. 60 seconds. And Snap Judgment continues. I'm Glenn Washington. Stay tuned. Snap Judgment. I'm Glenn Washington, and we've been having our fun and good times and all, getting a little crazy in the library. But now we're going to take it down a notch and visit with our good friend, Benjamin Walker. Now, some people know Benjamin Walker as the Muhammad Ali of storytelling. Others know him as the Bill Clinton of dance. I've always thought of him as the Wayne Gretzky of hairdressing. We're turning the dial over to Benjamin Walker. Wait a minute, just a second here. Ah, there we go, there we go. You can bet that Benjamin Walker's been to a library or two. Snap judgment. Over the holidays, I went home to check on my father not something I wanted to do. Every year it seems to get worse and worse. Every year he seems to get further and further away from the things that are most important to him. We've never been close, and about five years ago he decided to become a born-again Orthodox Jew, which was kind of the last straw. This is when he became a total alien to me. My mom, who was Jewish, is a born-again Christian, and dad was an altar boy as a kid. So maybe if they were still together, then I guess it might actually be kind of funny. But he is not with anybody. 
He is totally and completely alone. He's been living in squalor in this rundown basement apartment for the past 14 years, ever since wife number two kicked him out. About two years ago, he almost got evicted, and that's why my sister and I are now paying his rent. This actually doesn't bother me. When I was in high school, I stole a very important wine bottle from him, and I drank it with my friends in the parking lot. When I send his landlord a check every month, I think about how sad he looked when I lied to his face about it. Last year, the trip home almost killed me. I had totally become the parent. We went to Costco to get basic necessities. We went to Target to buy new clothes. We got a cleaning service for the apartment. I took him to the welfare office to sign him up for food stamps. And I paid his bill at the kosher deli where he'd run up this giant tab. My dad has never been good at paying bills. He just throws them in the trash. That's why the phone bill got shut off about 10 years ago. He's also run up thousands of dollars in credit card bills. But his paychecks are so small now, they can't really take much from him. He used to do okay managing this delicatessen, but currently it's a downhill spiral. For a while, he was gathering shopping carts from the parking lot at the Home Depot, and now he's working the night shift at UPS. Of course, he says that getting up at 4 in the morning to take the bus to lift boxes at UPS is great, because it gives him time to think about all his ideas. My father has always defined himself as a man of big ideas. And this is why I am such a fan of little ideas. Because having listened to someone go on and on and on about ideas that never amounted to anything, I've been totally scared to take on anything I can't do myself on a laptop or with pen and paper. There is one tactile connection I do have to my father, though. Books. Like my father, I have a lot of books in my apartment. And over the past few years, I've been trying to keep our conversations focused on stuff he's reading, rather than the ideas stuff. And come on, reading is certainly an act of doing. My father lives near a Barnes & Noble, so he spends a lot of time there reading all the magazines and the newspapers. And he looks at all the new books. Of course, he can't afford the new books, but there is the library. Besides the few times he buys a phone card, the only time I really hear from my father is when he emails from a computer at the library. So, on this last trip, we once again go to the Target, We once again go to the laundromat, we once again go to the welfare office, and we once again go to the kosher deli. But this time, we also go to the library, because my father lets it slip that he can't check out books anymore, because he owes the library money, like a lot. This I find incredibly tragic. I mean, how can you be a man of ideas without a library card. So I drive him to the library, and we go to the counter, and the librarian pulls up his records. It turns out that my father owes a mere $60. Late fees, of course, but late fees from 1999. So that means he hasn't checked out a single book in like 10 years. I do not pay the library bill. I want to, but I realize that it actually isn't something important to him. And if there's one thing I have learned from my father, it's that you gotta keep your eyes on the thing that is most important. show on WFMU called Too Much Information, and you are in luck. Dear listeners, he has a podcast. Again, that's Too Much Information 
Benjamin Walker, Storyteller Extreme. I love books. So do you. You're listening to public radio. And I always wanted to have a personal library with all the books I've read spread out on several handsome cedar bookshelves for all the world to see. The problem was I was itinerant, sleeping on other people's couches. The thing about big personal libraries is they don't travel well. So I kept several stacks of books in my mother's basement, waiting for the day I could rescue them and place them on that handsome cedar bookshelf in the den. The den. Anyway, that was my idea. Those books were the only things I actually owned that wouldn't fit into the back of my Civic. And they were from everywhere, about everything. The collection itself formed a type of travel journal. There was a series about acupressure I'd gotten from a Japanese flea market. A Thai monk gave me a beautiful book on vegetarian cooking. I've got this thing for great apes and had volumes about orangutans, gorillas, chimpanzees. I collected books of magic and books about sailing, Nubia. I found this wonderful book of Braille. I can't read Braille, but it was cool anyway. Every book was a gift to an older me, some imaginary future me that would have the time to sit down and read and chill. I was on the other side of the world, eating an apple when my mother called. Hey, mama, what's up? There was something going on and I could hear the shouting, clapping, the singing all in the background. What's that noise, mama? Well, I just wanted you to know some news. Uh-oh. See, I've been having this bad feeling. Like, like Satan was walking around my house in his bare feet looking through my cabinets. Right? Right? So, so the church ladies came on over and we got to divining where the evil was coming from. What do you mean? Divining the evil. Yeah, we got to divine the evil and we found it. And that's why I'm calling you, mother. Because I found your book, son. We found your evil stain. The ladies told me, they told me, Lord knows, they told me I didn't want to believe. But boy, what have you been into? Mother, what are you talking about? I said I found your book. Your satanic verses. Satanic verses, son. How you going to have the verses of Satan up in my house? It took me a minute. It took me a long minute. Mother, I think there's been some confusion. We fitting to burn all this here. All this here is going in the fire. Mother, do not burn my books under any circumstances. Do not do it. See, all this going up in the fire. Mother... The book, Satanic Verses, is not what you think it is. It is not the verses of Satan. Salomon Rushdie wrote that I know what Satanic Verses are when I see them, boy. How you going to pollute my house with the devil's scripture? All right. All right. All right. Go ahead. Burn Satanic Verses. Burn it. I never even liked that book. But leave everything else alone. Uh Uh-uh. All this has got the same taint. The devil been through it all. The lady felt it, and I felt it. It's got to be cleansed in the fire. Mother, do not burn my books. Do not do it. I'm just calling to let you know. You need to get right with yourself. Don't do it, Mom. Mom, do not do it. Goodbye, son. Your mother loves you very much. Mother, click. I called her. I called her, I called her again and again. I knew she wasn't going to answer, and I called her anyway, again and again and again. Three days later, she called me. Hello, son. How you doing? I wanted 
to ask her if she went through with it. Did she really, did she really murder my books? How could she do it? How could she? But I already knew. No library, no letters to an older me, and certainly, certainly no den. I'm fine, Mom. I'm fine. How are you? Alright, Snappers, you have just turned the page on the Snap Judgment Library episode or read the, the last chapter. There's not much more to be written in Snap Judgment's library this week. Like, look, look, it's the end of the show. But don't cry and do not weep. Just head on over to snapjudgment.org and let us pour you a little something for the road. Full podcast episodes, music, a Snap Judgment animated film awaits your viewing pleasure at snapjudgment.org. And Snap was produced by myself and the most studious group of scholars ever to fake their way through an MFA program. Did I mention the Uber producer, Mark to the Wristage, senior producer, God of War and Radio, Roman Mars. And what's that? Lights out, battery run dry? That's a shame. Too bad you didn't call Rebecca Megahertz for the energy you need. That Snap, Crack, production crew, listen close. We've got... Ben Smooth Groove Picasso. Will, not so smooth, Urbina. Sarah, Country Groove, Jesse, Rita, Where's the Groove, Daniels, and Stephanie Fu. Cat stuck in a well? Wondering who to call? Best you get a hold of the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. I'm sure they'll be glad to give you a hand. And don't sleep on PRX, the Public Radio Exchange. And even though this is not the news, not even close, in fact, your father and mother could get you a nanny. And you and that nanny could dance around singing songs with the chimney sweep all day long before she was swept away on an umbrella never to return. And you would still not be as far away from the news as this is. But this is NPR.